this morning as I get going, I'm going to continue part two of what we started last week on the Holy Spirit because God was doing some stuff last week that I only get about through halfway through my message. And so we're going to go into part two this morning of talking about who the Holy Spirit is. Remember last week we talked about why are we here? Why do we get together for church every Sunday? And, and the thought process was the New Testament church got together to go out and reach people. That's the only reason they got together. And Jesus said at the end of Luke, in the beginning of Acts, and we're going to go to Acts this morning, Acts 1. Um, he says, you need to go back and you need to wait for the promise of the Father. And so we're going to go a little bit farther into that this morning of, of why, did they ha- why did God want them to wait? Okay, they had been... They had received the Holy Spirit, remember, in John 20, 22. It said Jesus breathed on them and gave them the Holy Spirit. And then we go into Luke 24, 49, and he says, Go and wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Go and wait for the gift the Father promised. Remember, let's go back a few weeks before that in the story, when Jesus said, It's time for the Son of Man to be handed over and crucified. What was Peter's response? I'm never going to let that happen. I'll go to jail and I'll die for you. I'll die with you. And I think all of us would like to say that. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter thought he could accomplish his purpose under his own power. Jesus knew We can't. Jesus knew we can't walk out this life under our own power and really do all that he's called us to become. Now, we can try and we'll get frustrated because I'm sure all of you at one point in your walk in Christianity have gotten frustrated with your walk. And if you haven't, walk. Um, Because when I try to do it under my power... My human reasonings say things should happen differently. The world doesn't let that happen. The world says, we're going to mess with all your thoughts. We're going to screw everything up for you. And so when we understand the Holy Spirit, as we talked last week, is the third part in the Trinity. He's not some electrical power outlet we plug into. He's not some Jiminy Cricket that talks on our shoulder and tells us when we're doing right and wrong. He's not the force from Star Wars. He is a distinct individual person as the Bible describes it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we get into this. Because ultimately, only God can define himself. We don't get that option to define who God is. Now, you will hear all kinds of analogies trying to Explain the Trinity. You know, in an egg, you need a shell, and you need the yolk, and you need the white. And in water, you've got solid and liquid and gas. Apart from all those three, they're not a whole. And so when we, understand, when we, try, to, when we try to grasp a God concept with my finite mind... I try to explain it so I can understand it, so I can put God in this cool little box that I can explain to people. And God's like, you have no idea how big I am. We like to think. You know, we get the picture of he holds the universe in his hands, so we think we know how big he is. 
But we truly don't know the size of the universe. But we try to explain God to people. You know, it goes to, I, I saw that meme one time, and I think I said it a couple weeks ago here. You know, a lion in a cage, you don't have to try to defend it. Just open the door. It'll defend itself. You don't have to try to explain God to people. Just open the door and let him do it himself. Because he will change lives. People will argue the Bible with you. They just will. But here's a, here's a thing that nobody can argue with. My life and what God's done for me. And you all have a testimony of what God's done for you. Just let it go. God will defend himself. He doesn't need us to do it for him. He's big enough. And so when we just open the door and say, okay, God, you do what you need to do, and I'm just going to do what I do, and between that, all of a sudden things get done. Because I'm not trying to do for God what only he can do. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, and we talked last week about not focusing on our sins, but focusing on our faith... All of a sudden, our faith becomes bigger than our sin because we're focused on who we should become, not who we think we are. And when we focus on our sin, we find our doing, self-doing things, as Paul said, doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I should do because I'm focused on what I shouldn't be doing, so that's what I do. Don't ask me to repeat that. If I focus on who God is... And who he says I am, as Christian, I just read in Ephesians 2.10 on Friday night, it says in the Bible, I am God's masterpiece, created to do good works through Jesus. That's a pretty simple explanation of who I am. So when somebody tells me, and I make a mistake, they tell me I'm a mistake, God says you're a masterpiece. How do we start to live like that? We can't without the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and revealing it to us. Because as we read in, in the Bible, it, it says all scripture is God-breathed, right? So only God can interpret his words. And the Holy Spirit is our interpreter of those words. And so when those words start to become life to who we are, which only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit... Because I can, I can explain things, and I can look at things, and I can study things, and I can get a ton of knowledge, but never truly experience the God of the Bible. Until the Holy Spirit shows up, and I have an experience with the Holy Spirit, who then, repre- who then shows me who Jesus is. And then Jesus said, I'm showing you who the Father is, so if you know me, you know the Father. The Holy Spirit is saying, if you know me, you know Jesus, and if you know Jesus, you know the Father. All three work together as one, but can't be explained. It just can't. I cannot explain the Trinity to you. I'm not even going to attempt to because God is bigger than my explanation. And so all I need to do is read his word. I want to read a story this morning in this book called Experience in Worship, Developing a relig- uh, Living Relationship with the Holy Spirit by Robert Heidler. It says, those who regular, and I've read it before, but I want to read it again because I really like the story. Those who regularly drove down Latimer Street knew the pathetic sight of the old man all too well. His home was a jumble of cardboard cartons, a trash stashed under the I-35 overpass. His transportation was a rusty gr- grocery cart borrowed from a local store with a right front wheel that wobbled and was coaxed it along the, little str- the litter-strewn gutters. 
During the summer, he would panhandle under the hot Texas sun with loose change from drivers stopped at the red lights in, at Industrial Boulevard. In the winter, it was easier to root through the filthy dumpsters behind the hotels for scraps of food. One bitter winter day, he didn't make his usual rounds. At first, no one noticed. Actually, that, that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. If we were to not show up somewhere, would someone even notice? Are we making a difference? If our church was to close the doors, would anyone in this town even notice? Oh, trust me. They're going to notice because of who we are becoming in this town. The chamber knows us. The legion knows us. The businesses around here know us. The people around here are beginning to know us because we're getting out and we're talking to people, and we're sharing with people, not about our church, but about the Jesus we know. So if you're not sure, if you were to die, if anyone would notice besides your family and friends, go make a difference. How many people before Mother Teresa went out and made a difference in Calcutta knew who she was? And she didn't start that until she was like in her 70s, I think. It's never too late to make a difference. And so, two days later, someone found him. His frail body wasted away by pneumonia. He lay cold and dead in his cardboard home, surrounded by the crumpled newspapers he had burrowed into in a futile attempt to keep warm. When the county coroner did the autopsy, he was puzzled to find a safe deposit key, box key, tightly grasped in the old man's right hand. At first, he supposed the old man had just found it on the streets, or perhaps even he stole it. An investigation revealed, however, that the deposit had been issued in the old man's name many years earlier. What the lawyers found in the box when they opened it two weeks later made a front-page front article in the city newspaper. In the box, they found their de the deed to the old man's mansion in Florida. It's now been unoccupied for many years. There were stocks and bonds from an investment portfolio untouched for more than a decade. They found his diploma from Harvard, a Rolex watch, stacks of crisp $100 bills, small plastic containers filled with gold coins and a diamond ring va valued at several thousand dollars. The old man who had lived in such misery and squalor was in reality a very wealthy man. He possessed incredible resources but had not made use of any of the resources he possessed. So, Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, let us understand we have the resources of heaven at our disposal. We don't have to walk through this life or through our Christianity without the power of heaven walking with us because you gave us that key to heaven when you died on the cross for us. You gave us the power to walk out when you said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come so he can anoint you with power from on high to give you the power you need to do to live the life you need to live. So God, as we look into your word this morning, open our eyes, open our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I like that story is because it's probably a pretty close analogy to most Christians today. We live a powerless life even though we have the resources of heaven at our disposal. In the Bible, Paul says we are joint heirs with Christ. 
And if we're joint heirs, then we have the resources of the Father, and we have the power to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do we walk out our lives with that knowledge and resources? Because we face problems today. We face overwhelming difficulties. But, but God will sustain us. It's just part of life. We live in a broken world. We're going to go through problems. We're going to go through different things that are going to throw us off our game. God says you can not only survive these tumultuous days on planet Earth, but you can be empowered to find comfort and give hope to those around you as you do. God is calling a new generation. I truly believe this. He is calling this generation to experience a new fire of his Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm seeking. That's what I'm seeking for our church. I want God to pour out on us a spirit of revelation that's never been seen before because no other time in history has the world needed it. You look around at the division that's happening in our country because of selfishness, because of media, because of if I enjoy it, then it must be okay mentality, and it's all about me being happy. No other time besides the New Testament church time do we need a move of God. And the only way to reach that move of God is to experience a new fire from heaven, from that Holy Spirit baptism that the disciples received on the day of Pentecost. That's what we're seeking. That's what we're studying. It's not what do I know about the Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit, come. Because I can give you all kinds of knowledge to prove the Holy Spirit is a person. In fact, I've got a bunch of scriptures written down today that can prove to you the Holy Spirit is a person. In 1 Corinthians 2, 10, and 11, he has intellect. In Hebrews 10, 29, he has the full range of emotions. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, he makes decisions. In John 14, 26, he teaches. In Galatians 4, 6, he speaks. In John 16, 7, he comforts. In Romans 8, 26, he prays. And then he's treated like a person in Acts 5, 3 because he can be lied to. How many remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah, that's an awesome story for church people. Everybody's selling their stuff. I'm going to give you the story because it's a cool story. Everybody's selling their stuff and they're giving all the money to the disciples so they can take care of everyone. Now, I'm not saying we need to do this, so don't hear me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what, God, that's what the Holy Spirit had told that church to do. Sell all their possessions, put it in a community pot to take care of anyone. Anna and I, they decide to sell their money. And then they make a little deal, say, okay, we're going to keep a little bit to the side for us so we can take care of ourselves. But we will tell them this was what we sold it for. So he brings it in and said, here, am I not cool? I'm giving you all the money that I just sold my property for. And I'm pretty sure Peter's like, really, that's what you sold it for, huh? Yep, that's what we sold it for. What's Peter's response? Why would you even think about lying to God? And then he goes on to say, why would you lie to the Spirit? So right there, Peter calls the Holy Spirit God. And then what happens to Ananias? Boom, drops dead. He gone. 
Now, how many of you guys want to come into a church like that? How are things going? Great, boom. Because you're lying, you got problems going on. Be honest about it, be real. That's why God's here. God's here to take care of those problems. How's your marriage going? Awesome, boom. Dad, because you're lying, because you're struggling with your marriage, because you got something going on in your life that's separating you from your spouse. Why do you want to lie to the Holy Spirit when we come into church when he is God and he already knows the truth? So these guys pick him up, take him outside. What happens? His wife walks in. She's like, do-do-do-do-do. And did you really sell your house for this stuff? Yep, that's what we sold it for. Boom, dies. She gone. I'm like, why do we do this? In Ephesians 4.30, it says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And in Acts 7.52, it says he can be lied to again. I can teach you all that stuff. I can prove it in the Bible because that's all Scripture. But until you experience the Holy Spirit for yourself, it can't be revealed to you on the level God wants to reveal it. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit. So if we go into Acts 1 this morning and we read that little portion of Scripture that we too often just quickly go over. And we talked a little bit about it last week. And then in 4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he has promised. And when you receive it, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus knew the project was too big for us to do on our own. He said, wait. It's not, it's not comfortable in our society today to wait. We used to call it back in the day, remember, tarry. We'll tarry for the Holy Spirit. We'll wait. We'll sit in his presence until he comes. I got an hour on Sunday mornings. You guys come in here. You give God an hour. And we rush back out the door to get back to our busy lives. Could we like the New Testament church did, go with other believers and wait in an upper room for 10 days for God to move? Or would we worry too much about whether or not our bills would get paid? Now that's not on my notes, but that is really on my heart. Will we make a sacrifice to surrender to God to be changed by him? Throughout scripture, from Genesis 1-2, where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the, the world, to Revelation 22-17, you see the Holy Spirit at work. And in Revelation 17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. We're the Bride. Are we ready? Are we ready for Jesus to come take us home?
is the spirit. Are we close enough to recognize the groom as the spirit reveals him? And he goes on to say, let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life drink. We need to experience the Holy Spirit not because it has anything to do with our salvation, not because it makes us better than anyone else, but we need it to reveal to us how we can become who God's called us to be. Knowledge is good to a point, but knowledge also hinders experience. I can learn a lot about Abraham Lincoln by studying history. And too many Christians today read the Bible like it's studying history when Jesus is alive today. I can't know Abraham Lincoln. I can know about him, but I can't know him. I'm telling you today, you can know the Holy Spirit. And you can know Jesus on a personal level. And just as Jesus was sent by the Father to be the visible manifestation of the invisible God, so the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to perfectly manifest his presence in the lives of his people. So just as those who receive Jesus receive the Father, Today, as we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive more of Jesus. If you, again, to wrap this up this morning, to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be filled to overflowing with who God is. And that's the Holy Spirit's job. So I'm going to actually, we're taking the last five minutes this morning. Michael, if you want to come up and just play some soft music. We're going to take... Just give me five minutes this morning for you guys to seek the Holy Spirit. Not for me, but for those around us. Because we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, the reason I need you to do this is because I need you to prepare. I need to give you the plan so you can go and produce the harvest.